catching Robbie Ray and trying to keep him in the zone. I don't know if he's had that much success keeping Robbie nope. Ray in the zone. Um, <laughs> What if you just picked up third base and moved it like 10 feet to the right? I think they're trying that in the Atlantic League. (laughs) To complain about it, which so many do on the air. Now, to Sheffield's credit, he did not do that on the air. He was very professional. And welcome to episode number 201 of Artificial Turf Wars. No, you're going to be stuck on the waiver wire forever. Uh, I'm your host, Greg Snooski, and I am joined by the uproarious Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? Uproarious? I like that one. I'm, I'm in a much better mood now than I was five seconds ago. <laughs> That's what it takes sometimes. Uh, we have, of course, a week of baseball to run down for you folks, um, in which there was an actual off day. Amazing. Blue Jays are allowed to have those, it turns out. Um, Bo, Vlad, these are good players who play for the Toronto Blue Jays on offense. Um, And maybe Alejandro Kirk and and Randall Grichuk are also that. But then it kind of it falls off from there. We're going to talk about that problem. Uh, Playing defense, also a thing that probably Doris Gurriel and Kevin Biggio should try. Um, (laughs) The bullpen, though. Bullpen, I think, is this team's riding the bullpen both... Uh, for bullpen type starts like we saw the the night before we recorded this and in general um, when the bullpen has been called upon nothing has gone really that far off the rails I'm quite amazed and the good news is Romano Chatwood uh, probably coming back Ross Stripling for what it's worth probably coming back George Springer oh lord help us please come back or come here I don't know if it's back really uh, and then eventually Nate Pearson. So, I mean, anything could happen, really. We have your questions, which uh, follow that. And then we have a do-over from one of the most, uh, the best hated players in baseball, uh, who we can now begin, I think, to dislike as an analyst as well. Uh, Josh, it, yeah. it was a week. It was a week in Kansas City and, and in Boston. And I, I was kind of disappointed by how things shook out in Kansas City. Well, yeah, I mean... They lost three of four, which on its own is bad. But it, it but I think I was more disappointed because it looked very much like they could have won three of four had they had the presence of mind to play fundamentally good baseball. Yeah, well, that's the way I was going to finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really probably should have won the first three games of that series. The, the first one, which they lost seven to five. Yeah, uh, you know, like it went off pretty early and the Jays came back a bit late. So maybe the bullpen usage for Kansas city is different if the, if the game is closer, but they definitely should have at least split the series and, you know, some lack of, we'll get to the defense in a bit, but like definitely lack of fundamental basic defense. And well, and, and just like being a halfway decent defensive team hurt them. And then in, in the middle of the series, um, after the first game, Kansas City figured out, oh, let's just avoid Vladimiro Guerrero Jr. Like Vladimiro, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Let's let's just not deal with Vlad Jr. And it became much easier for them to limit the offense. Like Mike Matheny took one look and went, oh, no, he really is that good right now. Okay. I'm Matheny, but, uh, Matheny. Yeah, so he homered in the first two games of the series. He homered in game one, which they lost, and then he homered in the first game of the doubleheader. And then, yeah, he just got pitched around completely. Which he he will take the walk. 
I mean, yeah, he you, walked you, a couple times. You can clearly see he's he's not interested in, uh, at least at this point, in giving in to the idea that he has to do something with whatever he's he's, you know, however he's pitched that. That's part of the reason why he's very good. Um, but it does it does speak to the problem with the lineup in general. Uh, and then the Jays went uh, took an off day. Now that was the other weird part. The the, the last game in. Kansas City seemed like a whole bunch of suboptimal bullpen usage with the day off coming up. Yeah, that one. Uh, so we we will jump into this now. Um, I was going to talk about this later on, maybe as oh. part of my final thought. But there's been some strange. We talked about this in the past last year. Some, but just hit, Charlie Montoyo's bullpen and situational usage, like it just has. In-game strategy seems to be not good. Lacking. <laughs> you, I, I mean, he is a a new manager at the major league level, but he managed in the minors. If I listening to what Buck and Tabby and all that blather on about, he he was a minor league manager, correct? Yeah, for a long time. So, I, I do do managers get to this point because they are managers that their opinion about what happens next is is unassailable, like they don't have anyone picking apart their in-game decisions within the clubhouse because they're at the top of the heap. I often wonder about that. Well, I mean, it's certainly possible, but I also think that in the minor league level, it just doesn't matter so much because what you're down there for is for development and you know making sure that you get the most out of the talent on the field. And look, obviously, there are guys that are underperforming right now, which we'll get to. But part of Charlie Montoyo, what he's supposed to be very strong at is the interpersonal things that no fan can see. So, like, you will never hear me call for Charlie Montoyo to be fired because I think he's, frankly, a bad tactical manager. Because that's, like, how many games are actually influenced over the course of a season by the tactics of a manager? It's not that many. So if he's good at getting the most out of his talent, then fine. Like, stick around. Like, the Cito. Cito's a horrible tactical manager, but players love playing for him and they they did well for him so like i will never say he was a bad manager no he, he would he is he is bad tactically and I, I i mean maybe charlie montoyo is that well loved i don't know especially now that we don't have the even the the clubhouse reporter insight into the clubhouse um because there's nobody there uh so I, I will say this that uh when i was talking to ross atkins right after montoyo was hired down at spring training in in the first season 2019 he said to me that for the first time in his tenure, I think he said the first time, but he basically said that Charlie Montoya would be a manager that people would want to come to Toronto to play for, that that was his reputation as like a guy you wanted to be playing under around the league. And I, I like, why wouldn't see it? I, I, those statements are interesting to me because it's like, why would you not want to play for John Gibbons? <laughs> I think, but see, now that's why I wanted to change the way I, I reported that because he wasn't trying to slag Gibbons. Like when no, he said, no, that he wasn't. Really the point. But but it's an interest. You know what I mean? It's like John Gibbons, for all intents and purposes. No, I, I understand he was not a buddy buddy manager or whatever. But it, it was clear that he had his guys back um, in terms of if anything happened to them on the field that was out of line. That's that's what getting thrown out of games is about, right? <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, who knows why players want to play for managers? I'm just saying that that was the reputation that he carried, and I'm assuming still carries. Probably. I don't think we're going to answer that one other than to – I think you and I agree, though, that some of the unfathomably strange things he does when things are close and light um, 
yeah i would i would not do i wish i wish he would not do i wish someone would tell him to not do still i just want to highlight one specific one before we get off this because we, we obviously yep. have a lot of things to talk about so you mentioned the last game of that series where he brought in tj zoic in relief which was bizarre given some of the relief options he had available but in the double header in the first game they were winning i think it was four to one at that point i think they had an insurance run late but um he had david phelps warming in the sixth of the seven inning game and went to Dolly's in the seventh first off he could have just kept stephen matz in the game because stephen matz had thrown 82 pitches. He could have just thrown a complete game. But he went to Dolly's. But because Phelps had warmed up, Phelps was unavailable in the second game. So what I don't understand, given that it was a decent lead against a team that's not a very good hitting team, why on earth would you burn two pitchers when you could actually just go with zero? And I don't think we're going to get the answer to that. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think Joel Piamps is fine. So, like, I'm not saying he was a yeah. bad pitcher, but I still would rather have David Phelps pitching in the bottom of the seventh of a tie game when there's only seven innings against the heart of the order than Joel Piamps. And, you know, like, obviously there's some, you know, hindsight here because Piamps gave up the game winning home run, but he was still not the right option. But he was the only one because they burned Phelps for no reason. All right, uh, we are going to move uh, on from Charlie Montoyo for the moment anyway to say that uh, I think Bo and Vlad are very, very good, and, and they make a heck of a duo at the top of the lineup. They keep creeping up closer to the top of the lineup every time Charlie Montoyo shuffles things. So I believe last night in Boston, uh, because Biggio is leading off again now that he's decided to be more patient, um, we have, um, or go back to being patient, I should say, we have... Number two hitter, Bobachette, and number three, Vlad, Vlad Jr. at the moment. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. And that's the way I would like to see it. Yeah, and then once Springer comes back, it'll be I would like to, uh, Bo, sorry, Biggio to drop back down again. But, I mean, yeah, so Bichette had that, that good hot streak where he got his numbers up, you know, he got up to over 1,000 OPS. Then he had a couple offers, but then he's got a bunch of big hits in the last few games, including a home run, and he's just a really good hitter. He's going to strike out, unlike Vlad, a decent amount. And he doesn't walk a ton. That's just not really what he does. But he puts the bat, the barrel to the ball with consistency, and he drives the ball over the field. And he's just a straight-up good hitter. So nice having him hitting in front of Vlad. Yeah, I, I think it, every time I, you know, Vlad comes up and, and uh, I see Bo on base in front of him, I'm like, okay, this is this could be very much the start of a rally because, you know, depending on how many outs there are, you can you can now quite often you know fifty percent of the time have two guys on base if if you start with Bo Bichette. Uh because Vlad's Vlad is you know a five hundred OBP at the moment now that's that's not going to stay there forever but um, what yeah I know it's disappointing <laughs> but I mean maybe he'll only shave a hundred points off of that by the way we talked about Vlad fixing his ISO by a hundred what a hundred or hundred fifty points I joked uh, by by the end of the season or whatever he did it by the end of the week. Yeah, from one podcast <laughs> to the next. Two home runs will do that for you. Uh, uh, I think he hit a double like right after we stopped recording that when I was saying he didn't have many doubles. Yep. Uh, so yeah, like we can move on to Vlad. I mean, he's walking more than he's striking out, 14 to 11. He's hitting for some power. And he's just driving the ball over the field. He has 13 balls hit at 110 miles an hour or harder 
The next closest is seven. Judge Stanton and Pete Alonso all have seven. Well, I think Alonso got to eight yesterday. But, I mean, that's a huge gap, especially this early in the season. And it's also very clear that uh, he is intentional about where he hits the ball in certain situations. And he's, well, in all situations. But but if he needs to go to the other way to get on base with two strikes, it's it's a very intentional. Like Joe Morgan, as as funny as he was as a color guy, used to talk about okay when you're when you have two strikes or when you're you know see the infield lined up this way, you should be trying to do X with the ball. You know, trying to pull the ball, trying to you know trying to uh, uh, get it over the fielders on the other side, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I always used to laugh because eighty percent of the hitters he was talking about would never be able to actually do that. They were just struggling to hit the ball. <laughs> and make good contact, right? But but Joe Morgan thought everybody was Joe Morgan. Um, right, a superstar inner circle Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Vlad Jr. seems to have, you know, that nascent ability to see, okay, I need to do this. I, I am now not in the driver's seat because I am behind in the count, but I can still do something in terms of how I'm how I'm trying to hit the ball and be successful at it and not, you know, end up grounding out softly to the pitcher every time. Yeah, I mean, he definitely seems to be trying to go – up the middle more and use the whole field that way. So he's staying back a bit longer. I do think that like the change in his body is allowing him to wait a bit more on pitches than he were, was last year, which is why you're seeing him actually destroying changeups and hanging sliders as opposed to being way out in front of them. He's still swinging and missing on the good sliders because that happens. But one of the interesting things is I was talking about, I think it was last week, how he was swinging and missing at a very abnormal rate for him on April 8th. His swing and miss rate was 42.2%, which is quite bad. It's down to 29.8. And if if you're looking at what a Vlad Guerrero breakout season is, now he's not going to hit 383 with a 513 OBP, as you said. But skills-wise, taking the walks, hitting the ball hard and for a bit of power while not striking out or swinging and missing a lot, that's what it sounds like. And look, it's early, so... Who knows if it's going to continue because he's had hot streaks before. But this is what you would expect it to look like, you know, if you were saying Vlad is going to be what we thought he was going to be. Yeah, th- this is the skill set. How the power, I think that the un- the wild card here is how does, how do the 110 mile an hour hits shake out? Are they long singles? Are they doubles off the wall? Are they home runs? I don't know, but I think the skill set of walking as much as he strikes out is there now. I think, I think, and I think you're probably right. I think losing the weight seems to have made a big difference into how he commits to a swing, and that's that's everything for Vlad because he, he has to be under control to do what he does. Like Bobochet doesn't have that control. He's a great hitter, but my God, <laughs> there's parts flying everywhere. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think, you know, if, if Bo can main, or sorry, if Vlad can maintain the form, you, you, the results will vary a bit, but I, I think it's more where do the, where does the ball go when he hits it very hard rather than how does he start hitting the ball hard again? Yep. Um, I would like to talk about all the other great offensive performances on this team at the moment, but I think like sort of Alejandro Kirk is all I've got. And, and maybe, I mean, Randall Grishuk continues to be better than I think the Randall Grichuk that uh, we're used to seeing over the course of a full season. Yeah. And look, as we said before, this is what Kirk does. Sorry. Grichuk does. 
he has hot streaks and very cold streaks. Like he went from his early numbers that were great to going five for his next 30. And now he's on a six for 16 streak. And, you know, when he's going, he's good. And when he's not, he's really not. And that's fine. Again, like we've said this before, Grichik is a very useful player. And I'm happy that the Jays have him. He's just not the star that someone that people think he should be with his talent. Um, Alejandro Kirk has been catching, um, help me here. Robbie Ray. Thank you. Catching Robbie Ray and trying to keep him in the zone. I don't know if he's had that much success keeping Robbie nope. Ray in the zone. Um, <laughs> but it does get Alejandro Kirk out there and, uh, and he's certainly done more with the bat. Now this is the, what my transition to everyone else sucks, but man, does Danny Jansen magnify how much he sucks compared to everyone else who is still not doing well. Batting average 059, OBP 158, slugging 088 for an OPS of 246. Yeah. Um, so one of the things with Jansen is that he has a, a habit of swinging and making contact with pitchers' pitches in hitters' counts. So I've seen this at least three times. Now, this is anecdotal because I haven't actually looked at the data to back this up yet, but it, it tracks with who he is because he doesn't swing and miss very often. He actually has a very good contact rate, but he gets into 2031 and he'll swing at a sinker down and in on his hands and ground out softly to the shortstop or something like that. Because unlike some of the other hitters on this team, they foul that ball off their foot or he just puts them in play and he gets out. <laughs> I think though, he's probably the antithesis of the hard hitting Vlad jr. Right. That he's not, he's focused on contact, not good contact or his skill set has, has, has managed his way. Like you said, into soft contact and man, does that not fly in 2021 in the, the major leagues? Yeah. I, I think that like it's, it's a, it seemed like it's such a small tweak, though, just like just making sure he swings at better pitches because like his max exit velocity is still very good for, you know, across the league. You know, it's like, well, it's like league average, right? 50, 50th percentile around there. But his average velocity is 10th percentile. His hard hit percentage is 6%. His ex-WOBA batting average and slugging are all four or third percentile, fourth or third. So as long as he just starts swinging at hitters' pitches instead of pitchers' pitches, he does have the talent to hit better. But it's an adjustment that has to be made. Is that, I mean, pitch recognition? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that is. I mean, it is pitch recognition, but it's also, I think, I want to say selectivity as opposed to patience. Like It seems like sometimes he and other guys on this team, for sure, when they get into hitters' counts, if they get off fastball, they swing at it, even if it's not a good fastball to hit. And it has been to their detriment this season um, to to not hunt for that really good pitch. Um, like we've said, up and down the lineup with those two exceptions, or maybe you know two and a half exceptions, it has been painful to watch some of these guys. Like I, I see guys get ahead 3-0 or 3-1, and I think – Okay, now focus on what you want to hit, like like all the commentators tell us. And it looks like they're just like, oh, well, there's something in a lot of cases. And it's like, okay, well, now you fouled, fouled two pitches off and you're three and two. 
and you know now now you're you're back up against it. I, it it's not I've watched for years the Yankees and the Red Sox develop a philosophy of of wearing out the pitcher by by if necessary fouling off, but in general only only attacking pitches that you can really do something with. And I don't know how how that's unique to only a few teams in the league when it obviously well, works so very well. Well, have just really good hitters, but True, but but there are times when good hitters have come to Toronto or purportedly decent hitters have come up from the minors, and that's clearly not any part of the philosophy of what they're, they're doing, right? It's it's not their, their foremost goal. Um, whereas every single farm hand who comes up from the Red Sox grinds out at bats, pretty much. Sure. <laughs> but, but, I mean, just going back to Jansen, too, like last year, right? His ex woba was 70th percentile, so his numbers should have been better. But his average exit velocity, 5th percentile, because he just makes so much awful contact. And it's just you can't you can't succeed that way. He has the talent and the batting eye to be better. And I still think he will be better. Like, I'm not giving up on Jansen by any means, but he just needs to make an adjustment. Well, okay. We'll see where he's at. 100 flight appearances into this season. Um <laughs> I, I bet the numbers will be better than they are now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to bet against that particular thing since his career OPS is 643 and he's now about a third of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the bullpen, though, I think we can move to the bullpen with some safety, has been this team's saving grace up to this point. Um, who is Who is your favorite person who shouldn't be doing this job right now but is doing great? Anthony Castro, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's so like we talked about him last week, but he's coming. He's thrown five shutout innings, and he's just continuing what he did in the in the spring. He has not walked a batter, and like he's not overpowering. He has a decent slider. It's very sweepy, more than you know a power swing and miss slider. But if you come out of the bullpen and you're throwing strikes with two pitches, you're going to succeed. <laughs> and I'll take it. You know, it's like <laughs> for a guy that's. Well, he got DFA'd, you know, he got waived. And here he is being a key part of the bullpen. He and Tim Meza combined for 10 shutout innings in the bullpen, no walks. So I'm going to give a vote here for Tommy Malone because surprise, Tommy Malone's on the team, which is the way I felt when I saw him in Texas. Uh, and he is like the antithesis of everything else the Blue Jays have, have hunted down and tried to rack up in the bullpen over the past probably two or three years. He's old, he throws slow, uh, and he still manages to make people look stupid. And he hasn't really pitched himself uh, into any seriously troubling situations that he wasn't able to wriggle back out of, which, I don't know, it, it, it's it's so weirdly different. And I think it worked really well last night for the Blue Jays with Trent Thornton coming out with all of his moving parts uh, and his, you know, hard throwing relatively speaking and then tommy malone saunters onto the mound and and the red sox are like okay 78 mile an hour changeup, i think it is in an 84 mile hour. that's gas for him yeah and an 84 that, mile an hour fastball yeah i think his fastball was slower than every other pitch that Trent thornton threw but <laughs> tommy malone of all the pitchers on the blue jays who've thrown at least five innings so julian Merriweather is the reason that i had to cut it off at five Tommy Malone has the highest K per nine on the team. <laughs> <laughs> He's got 16 strikeouts in 10 and two third. 
Uh, yeah. Well, he he put a pitcher, on, he put a, a batter on one knee last night, and the guy literally went wow at the changeup. Like, how was I supposed to do something about that? Um, yeah, Verdugo. yeah, so Verdugo made that. I don't know. It, it, it's it's uh, so different, like because you know the the they brought up Jamie Moyer on the broadcast, but you know it's that kind of throwback to the Mark Burlage Jamie Moyer. Hey, it's slow and it's stupid, and it still sometimes can work for certain guys, provided they they really understand how slow and stupid it is. Um, yeah, so that's my vote for Tommy Malone for now. Anyway, until. Until he has a night where he makes several mistakes in in the middle of the zone, <laughs> yeah, which will happen. But I mean, like, it just like, these are the names we're talking about, right? So that's he's thrown ten innings. The two guys I mentioned, Meza and Castro, have thrown a total of ten. Joel Piamps has thrown eight and a third and given up one run. This wasn't supposed to be the case, but these guys have like, like they filled in for the injured pitchers and they've done the job. And you just kudos. <laughs> Yeah, and and Rafael. So the other part I think is has been um, really, again, this is where I'm going to give Charlie Montoya some credit. Is is when he's not making those burning a pitcher for no reason decisions. Um, he's obviously got guys to buy into. Um, I'm not going to assign you per se the closer role. I'm going to use you uh, where I think I need to use you, a- and all of the guys have come through in those situations, whether there be you know. He was he was doing it earlier with Merriweather and Romano, where you know you're not the closer, you're the guy who faces the heart of the lineup. I think he's that part seems to have adjusted, you know, double headers aside and such, um, quite well. And I think he's gotten really good results out of that. So I think that's I, I'm glad that that can work in a bullpen where I don't think they have enough arms to be set in roles right now. Yeah, I think it helps that none of those guys was like a capital C closer beforehand. It's like I don't think that would have worked with Kirby Yates if he were healthy, for example. Like he would be the closer. But when you have a bunch of guys who were just middle relievers to begin with, then it's like, yeah, that's just your role. It's not changed just because guys got hurt. Yeah, it's just your role in the eighth inning now instead of for two outs in the sixth. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The bullpen is about to get stronger. I think that's I I feel like all we've had this season with the exception of um uh, Robbie Ray is people disappearing off of this roster. Yeah, so, TJ Zoic got injured by the way. We didn't even mention that. He's on the hell now. What happened? I didn't uh, shoulder inflammation. My brain's getting inflamed. Um but nevertheless, ah well, the uh, the Jays did get a a reinforcement probably because of that Zoic injury. Um Jeremy Beasley? Yeah, I don't know what a Beasley is. Yeah. Beasley? <laughs> Get in here. But, hey, two-pitch pitcher can pitch in the... in the. Um... No, he's a three-pitch guy. Oh, a three-pitch guy? Yeah, so <laughs> this is his scouting report from 2019, because obviously there was no 2020 that they could see from the minors. His fastball sits at 92 miles an hour and touches 95, 96. His real weapon is a sharp 83 to 84 splitter that draws comparisons to some of the best splitters in the majors, and he backs it up with a decent slider. Beasley's high tempo delivery and general arm action have a more reliever look to it, but he holds his stuff and throws strikes with above average control. And then basically it says Beasley's been compared to Matt Shoemaker with his combination of pitches. (laughs) Well, no wonder the Blue Jays dove in. Couldn't get Shoemaker back. They seem to get these guys with splitters, though. They've done that a few times lately. It's one and, more arm. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, they look, they need arms. They transferred yeah. Thomas Hatch to the 60 day IL. And, you know, so Beasley, he got knocked around a bit when he was pitching in the PCL with the Super Bowls in 2019. But other than that, he's actually got a decent minor league track record of just solid performance as mostly a starting pitcher. So I think he could be a good, useful piece. And he's got options. So when one of these guys that we're about to talk about comes back from the IL, they can just send him straight down without having to cut someone. So I think guy number one that we're hoping comes back better than he left is Jordan Romano, right? Yeah, so he's supposed to come back, according to Ross Atkins, on Saturday. So he'll miss the first game of, he has to, the first game of the uh, the Rays series. Um, but he'll be back on the second end. And then Tyler Chatwood? He'll be there to start the series. So like, it's nice that both those guys were in the minimum IL stay, right? Julian Merriweather, they're saying it's going to be He's going to be shut down for a couple of weeks. So it's like, mm. who knows? But uh, it's nice when guys go out and come back right away as opposed to the other thing. It makes you feel as if the inflammation really might have just been inflammation. Yeah, I mean, pitching is not easy on the body. So it's nice that those guys are back and they seem to be healthy. Hopefully they stay healthy because that's not always a guarantee, but they're good to go. I was reading my Twitter feed today and I can't remember who the quote was from. And someone asked... and. I can't remember. He goes, pitching hurts, so I don't do that anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, going to be Shohei at some point. Uh, maybe. Um, Ross yeah. Stripling. Uh, I, I mean, we need starting pitching, so uh, Ross Stripling's coming back. Is Ross Stripling going to be better than he was the first time around? Well, he did start to find his curveball in his last outing, so... I, as I said before, like that's the make or break pitch for him. If he's got his good curveball, he's good. If he doesn't, he isn't. Um, I still think he can be fine. And they, look, they need starting pitching. They have a nice stretch where they got all these off days, right? Because so they have an off day. We're recording this today on the Thursday. There's an off day. They just had the one before the Boston two game set. They've got another one Monday. And then they've got another one on the following Thursday. So they've got four off days in the span of eight days. I don't know who wrote this weird-ass schedule, but I'm glad we're in this stretch of it and not the 16 games in 16 days they started with. Yeah, so it allows them to – so Stripling could be back in the mix in days was the quote. They don't need a Ross Stripling start for another week. So that's fine. Um, we'll talk about Nate Pearson because he's a pitcher before we move on to the the, the one holiest of all Blue Jay names to come back. Uh Pearson, you had here in the notes that he's progressed to two to three innings simulated games, which obviously doesn't put him right on the cusp of coming back because he is he is coming back to the rotation. Yeah, so Nate Pearson only threw one inning in spring training before he got hurt. So he needs to build all the way up. But they said he only needs to get stretched out to five innings. So he's throwing two to three innings during an inter-squad game on Friday. And then he'll, assuming he gets through that okay, he'll throw again five days later. If he only needs to get to five before he comes back, which is not unreasonable because he can then build in the ma- in the big leagues from there, that's like, what, 10 days away? 11, 12? Like it's, you know, and with these off days, he could be back in the rotation before they actually need another starter. And I would remind everyone that uh, Pearson throws around 100 miles an hour and is a significant step up from 
several of the things that are happening in the rotation right now, even if he's not perfect. So fingers crossed that everything continues to develop the way it's supposed to develop with Nate. Yeah. And just one more thing, which we said before and want to reiterate is that Pearson was going to have to be shut down at some point anyway. So the upside is that the pitching has kind of like it's the, the pitchers themselves have broke, but the pitching is just bent. Like they've been really solid on the mound and you can't expect all these guys to keep, you know, pitching with horseshoes up their butts, but um, sounds very unpleasant. So the reinforcements coming back to help lessen the load is going to be really good. And he should be able to pitch this through the season at that point. Hopefully. And the last, the last name to come off the IL imminently, as I see that you've written here in big capital letters. No, he just wrote it normally. Eh, George, (laughs) George, big contract. Haven't seen you yet. Please play center field and lead off the game, Springer. Yeah. So he's playing in that inner squad game that Pearson's pitching. He's going to play center field in that game. So we were hoping he'd be back to start the series, but it sounds like that's just the final test. Like if he can play a full inner squad game in center field, getting at bats against Nate Pearson, mind you, mind, mind you, then he's ready. And then he will be in the lineup playing center field, or maybe they'll DH him for game one or something, but leading off game two of that series. And given what we said about the way the lineup is struggling and the way the defense has been struggling, getting him back in the lineup will just be so, so huge. Yeah, we did not go into great length about the defense, and I don't know if we have to go into great length, but I I alluded to it. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has not had a great time catching the ball, which is a problem because that's primarily what he needs to do. Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette have both fluffed throws or made life difficult on Vlad Jr. on on more than one occasion in the in the ensuing week. Like it's frustrating to watch that you start to develop again when you know, it feels like defense is a problem that you should be able to fix and yet it keeps rearing its ugly head. Yeah, I do think some of that will get better but we got a question about one of them, which I'm going to saw. It's not all, I think, necessarily going to get better. All right. And on that slightly sad note, we're going to take a quick break because we're going to, I'm going to shuffle the big deck of questions that I've obviously printed out on these 3x5 cards. And <laughs> we're going to come right back with those in a sec. we are back and usually when i come back i get the opportunity to play with the little thing i've got set up to play all these funny noises we've got so time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly here are the rules first i ask a question then you ask a question now how does that sound sweetheart could you repeat the question please and Ewan Ross at Mentok has the very first question, which is, what are potential fixes for third base, base that don't rely on Biggio learning to throw better? Are we just waiting on Jordan Groshans or are there low-cost options outside the organization? I don't know if he means for this year or for, like, future years. I assume it's this year because obviously there'll be plenty of options to do things in the off-seasons. Um, what, so what if you – hold it here. What if you just picked up third base and moved it, like, 10 feet to the right. I think they're trying that in the Atlantic League. (laughs) (laughs) 
think outside the box, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in terms of this year, so Kevin Bishio was the guy I was like, I'm not sure it's going to get better. I, I expect Bobochet to play better at short. And I expect Gurriel to be better in left because he's just reading balls really poorly this year, even more so than he did last year. I don't think there's any reason for him to regress negatively. Like that doesn't make any sense. Same with Bichette. Has but anybody Biggio, ever regressed positively, Josh? Yes. Vladimir Guerrero regressed positively. There we okay. Regression to the his, mean. With his swings and misses. I see. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, Vigio's issue, as you had mentioned, is that he doesn't have the arm strength for third base. He can't make the throws with any consistency. And that's not something that is going to get better. Now, he's, his reads on balls and his reactions are better than I expected they were going to be. Like, that's at least positive. But the throws are a problem. Like, two, uh, three bounces to first base is a big problem. Yeah. And also the long one bouncers, right? Two or three bounces a first baseman can handle. But if it's a long one bounce or like a mid-range one bounce, that's really hard. Like what happened in the last game that uh, didn't lead to a run, but it led to extra pitches for Dolis against Boston. But I, th- I think the two, three bouncers are two, three bouncers because they're not very hard throws. <laughs> so it's getting there a lot later on your – like you're yeah. losing velocity every bounce despite what, what many people tell you about the ball picking up speed after it skips off the dirt. Yeah, they don't understand physics. but uh, <laughs> No, but it's it's a problem. Uh, but the answer to Ewan's question is I think it's just the they, they just have to live with it because Vlad is the first baseman now. Um, the option to me would be put Vlad at third and put Biggio at first. Uh, but I don't think they're going to do that because Vlad has looked comfortable at first and they probably don't want to mess with him too much. And there's no one really out there. Uh, you know, we can never really predict trades, but there's no one that's a logical trade target now. Maybe in you're on the deadline, you could see them talking about like Javi Baez or Chris Bryant or something like that. If the Cubs fall out of it, and there's plenty of other guys, but right now, it's basically they just got to suck it up. Uh, better than last year's option. Well, not what? defensively. I think overall, though, still better than last year. If Biggio um, starts hitting, which I assume he will hit better. Yeah, I, well, I, I assume that the note that he had, he was going back to his, you know, being doing his own approach. I think in the long run is going to work better for him. It, it's it's okay to try and be Brett Gardner um, without the wheels, um, rather than trying to, you know, adjust your your aggressiveness if you're really not comfortable doing it. Right. L at Ellie Ellie Hart asks, is there anything we've seen in the early season that's changed your expectations positively or negatively about anyone or anything? Do you want to go first? Um, I think there's a few things that have probably changed. I think I am more disappointed in, in Biggio's arm as we were, we were alluding to, but I, I, I also have been, um, I'm really curious what the heck is going on with Marcus Semyon's bat. Because I'm fine with his defense a second, but I'm I'm kind of disappointed by by him not coming around with the bat when that's sort of what he's. I mean, the guy's here to rehab his offensive image. Um, I am surprised by many of the people in the bullpen, uh, not just. So this isn't surprise though, right? Like the question is, what's well, actually change changed my your opinion of them? Uh, well, I don't expect Biggio to um, to do any better with the throws. Um, I I think I expect. Castro to do to continue to do well. I think, I think the sky is probably the limit for Barucki as a lefty out of the bullpen, um, which I didn't necessarily believe before the season. 
So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm probably putting too much weight on April. What about you? Yeah, so I'm going to not go nearly as extensive as you did. <laughs> Feel um, a lot of the stuff that is like Biggio and and you mentioned Baraki, those were expectations I had coming in, so nothing has really changed there. Um, Vlad looking healthier has changed my expectations of him. Like obviously he said he lost weight, but I wanted to see the effect of that, and it does look like he's moving better. So I think that is something. I, it, and same with Castro, the strike throwing ability seems to be carrying over. Again, it's early. I don't think he's going to be this good because that's just not realistic. But it, the control was always the thing that he had to fix, and so far this season looked like he has gone towards fixing that. Uh, the next is from Incoherent Screaming at Split Letters, also once upon a time known as Luke. Says this lineup is significantly better than they've looked so far, right? Right? With three question marks. Because, wow, this has been painful to watch non-Blad and Vo division. I think we both agree that this is a better lineup at, at tr- talent level that has not uh, has not been able to put it together consistently. Well, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. Um, well, that is so significantly like, better. Yeah. I mean, guys that will will put up better numbers. Rowdy, Guriel, Teoscar, Biggio, Kirk, Jansen, and probably Semyon. Like, all of their numbers should get better. And that's a lot of players who yeah. have historically low numbers. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I this team should hit, especially once Springer gets back, too. Um, bored and lazy at uh, Bundler, MCD, asks sorry well first uh, the question was yeah beasley question mark <laughs> then i said what about him <laughs> and then he said any thoughts curious why the jays went for him unless it's an any port in a storm situation uh and then he, he talks about fip and uh, uh yeah FIP, fip when you've only thrown a third of an inning is not a meaningful stat really i thought <laughs> i should point that out because <laughs> he's got like a negative 260 fip or something because he struck out one batter in one third of an inning. Um, if these trends continue, hey, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's partly it's a, any port in a storm situation. I think is they need arms, and but I also think they like him. I think they they think he's got a mix that could be useful to them. But yeah. we talked about his pitch mix earlier. I think that he they would not give up a roster spot for a player that they didn't think they could actually get value out of. Uh, BK at underscore BKUH underscore asks, who is the 2022 opening day shortstop? You skipped a couple questions, but... Uh, oh, sorry, I scrolled. I scrolled, I'm so sorry. We'll go back. But what, who I is the 2022 opening, day, opening? Yeah. Um, I think they're not on the roster. I think it's going to be Carlos Correa or Javi Baez. I don't think they're going to go up for Trevor Story. I hope they do. But I don't think it's going to be him. Seager, Baez, or 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 Correa. I think they're going to go for one of those elite shortstops in the market and move Bo. That's my bet. But Bo is still like if, if, if any one guy, Bo has the highest percentage. But I think it's going to be one of those three. I'll take the field over Bo Bichette. I think it's Bo Bichette. I think uh, I think they go get a third baseman and move Biggio to second. Uh, okay. 
board. No, sorry. I missed Kevin's question, right? At Kevin Chase 4. And there's another one you might be. It's a locked account. So Lauren Simmons at Lauren Dorfin. Lauren ain't my friend. Not well, yeah. Turfpod's friend. Why is mine. Charlie the way he is? <laughs> uh, that's just the way he was made, I think, is the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have another one. Well, I think he also is like, he just gets the latitude that's surprising from the front office. Like the bunting with two strikes thing is just baffling. I don't know why that's allowed to continue, but until someone says stop doing this, he's going to keep doing it. Baffling is the nicest thing you could possibly say about about bunting with two strikes. Um, So Kevin at Kevin Chase 4 asks, how many more errors before Buck mentions that they don't practice fundamentals and base running every day like back in his day? This is presuming that Buck hasn't said it yet somehow. Well, see, a lot of the errors that happened were on the road, and it, this last one was Shulman and Tabler. Right. So, Buck, Buck, actually, Buck has it queued up. That's what I would bet. <laughs> exactly. One, one error. Um, zero. Like you know, it'll zero. just be like the first thing he says in his pregame <laughs> the next time he's calling a game. What I've noticed watching at home is that <laughs> they don't do these things. Yeah. Um. So, Aaron Poleski asks. Can anybody in the infield on this team catch the ball without doing the splits? <laughs> Catching the ball isn't really their problem. It's throwing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, doing the splits isn't a problem either. I mean, if you want to do the splits, it's cool. Usually in baseball, you don't actually have to get back up after you've done the doing the splits thing. So it's it's all right. In most other sports, uh I think doing the splits has been a ridiculous overcommitment on your part. And you're going to end up regretting it very soon. Yeah. <laughs> I I, res- I respect that, that Vlad can do the splits at all because I I have a near-death experience when my leg, when my feet get that far apart. Yeah, I just uh, don't let them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, wins and flosses, which is Gideon, um, asks, Vlad looks like a great first baseman, which he's obviously judging by the splits. Um, but is there any way for us to know that beyond anecdotal evidence? The stats out there don't, don't measure the whole uh, first base effort particularly well. Puts a question mark on that, asking if that's you know still the case, basically, because the defensive metrics, th- there is no pick a ball out of the dirt defensive metric per se. No, they actually, yeah, they do count scoops. Like they, there is a thing that measures scoops, but it doesn't. Well, it doesn't help if you, if you don't have to – if you have a, a, an infield that doesn't throw you stuff you have to scoop very often, that's no, not no, your I, skill so level. The answer to, right, <laughs> to getting his question is no, right? The, the, the first base defense is still ridiculously difficult to quantify objectively. So sadly, we're still stuck with the eye test and just announcers saying, well, he's a good, good defensive first baseman. It's like, if you say so. like, Yeah. It's, yeah, it's like – I don't know if a, a great defensive first baseman gets that ball in the foul territory or not. I have no idea. And neither does the announcer, right? Well, so, no, see, range, first base range is a thing. Like, you can see that, and that is measured. But, but it's there's, the there's, other there's aspects times, of first But there's times when you second, get... One second. <laughs> it's just, Go it's, ahead. It's the other aspects of first base defense, like, you know, how they play on... You know, they handle bunt defenses, how they hold runners, like how they handle throws in the dirt or like catching difficult throws and staying on the bag that stuff is not measured fair enough um but da, 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 i think that's it that's the questions yeah 
Those were the questions. We hope you enjoyed them. We enjoyed answering them. Um, and now Josh has had a few moments, uh, as it were, to consider the do-over. All right. What would I do different? Well, well, I've never actually made a mistake. There have been a few, let's call them, stananks. That could be worthy of a do-over. If you didn't really love Gary Sheffield because of his attitude as a player, let's tell you about his attitude from when he was an analyst. Josh! Yeah, so <laughs> Gary Sheffield was on a CBS Sports Network morning show, the Tiki and Tierney show. I don't know who those people are. They're, um, like, they're like us, only they're paid better. Yeah, so he says, quote, <laughs> I don't watch baseball at all. I was kind of forced to watch baseball because I was working with TBS. He was an analyst up until 2020. And so I had to remember, really find out who were these players. I'd tell you the secret now, or I'll tell you the secret now. I never watched the games during the season. I would get educated on it when I got there. It's not something that I could watch based on what I'm seeing because I'll be a complainer. This is the first time I've ever said that out loud, but I'm just truly disappointed with what I watch. So they hired Gary Sheffield. Like your, your complaint is not with Gary Sheffield because I think Jerry, Gary is being honest here. As much as you might not like the fact that he doesn't like watching baseball, he's finally saying, hey, I don't actually like watching baseball. Yeah, okay. so <laughs> the do-over is not for Sheffield. Like, well, he's being honest. Like, he says he doesn't like the way the game is now and fine. You know, like, <laughs> that's certainly his opinion. He's right. The do-over is to TBS and Fox and ESPN. For hiring all these former stars who don't like the way the game of baseball is. Their job should be to educate and entertain and make people fall in love with the game, not to complain about it, which so many do on the air. Now, to Sheffield's credit, he did not do that on the air. He was very professional when he was a, an actual <laughs> analyst. But these so many people like John Smoltz is the worst, but he's not alone. They just complain, even like the Jays guys, right? Constantly, oh, the shift, oh, back in my day. It's like, it's not your day. Talk about the good parts of the game. Yeah, I mean, the game always changes. It's your job to promote the game as yep. it is, not the game you played or the game you want to see out there. You're the biggest cheerleader for the game. And yes, it, the, the question for the network, I think that one of the very first questions in an interview process, no matter what pedigree the person has as a broadcaster or as a player, has to be, do you enjoy or do you find entertaining the the baseball that is getting played today? Do you watch the game and, and is it fun for you to watch it? And I, I'm, I'm astonished by the number of guys who were much more into... What? No, I'm not astonished. I, I'm... I, I'm astonished by the number who get hired. But I think a lot of guys didn't play baseball so that they could watch baseball a lot. They played baseball so they could play baseball. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're a fan. It means you're a really good player. Um, so, yeah, that maybe they just need to hire some bloody fans. Sure. Just, yeah, just the basic test should be describe the game of baseball to me. Like, what your your thoughts on the game of baseball. That should be the first question. Yeah, and if it's and if then, it's not, that's it. That's the exam. Like, you, <laughs> <laughs> if it's not complimentary, what comes out of your mouth, it's okay. We can find someone else who does this job and and likes it. Uh, yeah, I mean, why would you torture a former player anyway? Just remember, Alex Rodriguez loves the game and thinks the, and doesn't know why he was so good. 
Yeah, so Rodriguez is a terrible analyst now, but at least he just doesn't complain about it the whole time. So like that's you know he's just not good at the job, which is fine. That happens, but at least he, you know, he's still trying to promote it. Absolutely. All right, so uh, I'm sure we're just going to get all the big networks on here to explain to admit that they've done it wrong. <laughs> yeah, the execs from CBS, yeah, going to drop by. <laughs> TBS, ESPN, you know what, guys? They're all come on. You pinpointed it. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, good enough. So we roll into the uh, tail end of another podcast, and I ask you: Do you have, sir, a final thought? Yep. Surely. <laughs> <laughs> Can you There's have been a, a lot, a, final a lot of freaking early. out about guys, and we just listed off six guys. I think it was whose numbers are absolutely going to get better, and there's some pitchers who are absolutely going to get worse. <laughs> and you know, Elle's question was a good one because, like, I, for me, there's only a couple of guys I could think of where there's something that my expectations changed, but it wasn't like drastic changes even. But it just nothing really like unless you see a skill change, which which we talked about with both the guys we listed. Well, the, the guys that we both listed rather. Unless there's a skill change, there should be no reason to assume that someone is not going to get back to doing what exactly we have seen them do for the last few years. My final thought is Joey Votto. Um, you know, the all encompassing thought of Joey Votto, basically, because he is one of. One of my favorite players, and Canadian or not, irrespective of that, I think it is some kind of a tragedy that prime Joey Votto never got to suit up in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. Um, just so I could watch Joey Votto be Joey Votto and never pop out. But Joey Votto this week instigated a triple play in in one of the more unusual ways uh, that one can uh, manage a triple play by by with only one catch and one throw. Um, at first base, he caught a line drive and tagged out the runner who had not tagged up diving back to the base. And on that play, with two outs, the runner from third ran home and scored. At which point, you can clearly see on the field Votto asking the home plate ump, did he tag up? And getting some kind of answer, flipping the ball to third and discovering that, oh no, no, the runner did not tag up, and now everyone's out. Awesome. Uh, awesome baseball instincts and incredible reaction time. It was just so much fun to watch. It was cool play. And I, I doubt you'll ever see that again. <laughs> ever. <laughs> the the that tag exact up. sequence? Yeah. I mean... Where the guy doesn't even try to get back to third, you mean? Well, yeah, because he's, you know, trying to sell the fact that he tagged up, right? That he only left after the after the yeah. liner was caught. Yeah. yeah. We'll just check. Uh, kudos to the umpire for actually, you know, understanding immediately what Vada was trying to do, which is his job. But still, sometimes he gets a little fuzzy on the, uh, on the throws over. All right. So, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and this has been Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 201, and we'll talk at you next week. Mm-hmm.